Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, Greg Matzik's here. Debbie Lazik's here. Lazika, excuse me, Deb. Debbie Lazika is here. She's got your roads. Adam Roberts is here. And Sandy Max is back, but she was out of town this weekend. Rolling out of Airport Bowl in Harlington, England, your number four seed, Richie Teese. That's you. That's a little bit of what I was doing. Uh, Indianapolis, the professional bowlers tour has begun. The tournament season kicked off with one of the most grueling tournaments. All these bowlers show up for a week. They all bowl 48 games. They grind it out, and even Mookie Betts was bowling in the qualifying. Do? He d- he was towards the bottom. Did he make? So he didn't make the TV. No, he did not TV make the stuff. TV. That we had but 108 bowlers down to nine seeds, mm-hmm. and uh, live on FS1 Saturday afternoon. And yesterday were the finals, and man. Was it good? What does the the guy who won? Mm-hmm. Do, do you know like what did he average in his games, or what did he roll his last game, or how how good are these guys? They're great. Uh, EJ Tackett is the guy who won, and he is from Indiana. Here's here's a just a taste guy. of how uh, welcoming it it sounded on Fox. With sixteen PBA Tour titles, he bowls out of Easy Bowl in Bluffton, Indiana. Number one seed, EJ. How fun. They were very excited for him. <laughs> so he fun. And E.J. Tackett finished second last year. So oh. he had a little uh, chip on his shoulder. He okay. was ready to win. It was his time. His parents were there. His brother's there. His wife's there. And it was one of those finals, though, where uh, he he uh, bowled against, I was talking about the pro with the fro. Oh, the big, the big hair guy. Kyle Troop, yeah, yes. Yeah. And he has many, many fans. So it was very exciting for them both to bowl. But it was even all the way to like the eighth frame. Like, oh, really? Yeah, people were missing spares. They, they, so it was not this, yeah. oh, somebody's dominating. So it really was a nail-biter. It wasn't just a walk in the park for E.J. Tackett, but uh, he got it. Tackett, a triple crown winner! Yeah! <laughs> Is that you screaming in the back? Oh my God! Wow, that is serious. He was very excited. He was telling everybody, but I mean, it was emotional. It was a big, big deal. And he is only the ninth player in PBA history to get the triple crown. So it's the World Championship, the Tournament of Champions, and then this U.S. Open. So it's a big accomplishment for a thirty-year-old athlete. So I would have to imagine somebody yeah. listening right now has bowled a three hundred game. Oh sure, okay, sure. And, and I think a lot of people have like it, it's. And congratulations, you get the ring, everything. Oh, it's yeah. a big deal, yeah. right? But what what separates somebody who you know gets a three hundred in league play, from you know what I mean? Like a if lot. I'm going to play a, a par lot. three golf course or Whistling Straits, my score is good. But but bowling is I'm so between the average. How much of it is mental? So well, the golf. Courses are different and more challenging, like Whistling Straits. Or, right. Are alleys the, more different? The oil difference? Oil patterns. That's the key there here. There you go. Oil patterns mm. uh, change and are different. So there are different designed oil patterns with different thicknesses of oil down the lane. And then they change because Interesting. all these balls are being rolled down, whether you're a two-handed bowler or a lefty or a righty. So it's managing yeah. that. It's a lot of physics and, and science. It's interesting. And that keep is. in mind, you can see it in person. The PBA World Series is going to be mm-hmm. at Bolero Tosa for like the whole month of April. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, yeah. How fun. It's 513 at WTMJ. Off the coast of South Carolina, Navy and Coast Guard ships continue to comb the waters for... 
Remains of the spy balloon that was brought down over the coast there, just outside of uh, Hilton Head, Savannah, that area off the East Coast. Mike Gallagher, U.S. Congressman from the Green Bay Area, is chairman of the Select Committee on China. We had the chance to talk to the congressman about all of it earlier today. A lot of debate has been going on about whether or not we should have shot down the balloon earlier. I guess my question to you, and you know more than the rest of us, is before it got to the continental United States, when it was over the ocean near Alaska, we knew about this for days, at least some in government did. Was there an opportunity earlier to take out this balloon or to act sooner than we did? I believe we could have shot it down over the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. The only excuse that I could see for why we didn't, because the debris excuse doesn't hold in that case, would be if we weren't tracking it early enough to do it. But everything I've read, and I've just gotten back to D.C., and we're looking forward to having some in-depth classified briefings later tonight and throughout the week, suggests that we were tracking it such that we could have shot it down. Um, And then I think you would have, one, minimized any risk to civilians on the ground, Two, if there was a value in tracking it, sort of collecting against the asset, you could have done that. And three, you could have avoided the massive diplomatic and deterrence blunder of allowing this thing to sort of slowly make its way across the United States from Alaska all the way to the Carolinas, insulting us uh, at every step of the way. So um, if there's a better excuse, I have yet to hear it. Uh, the administration's explanation has thus far not made any sense. To me, uh, the bigger question lurking in the background in my mind is whether this was deliberately timed by the Chinese Communist Party to coincide with Secretary Blinken's visit to embarrass him, embarrass us. That would be well within their playbook. You know, they've done this to him before. They did it to his deputy. They did it to Obama in 2016 when he went to China. Uh, it goes all the way back to the early parts of the Cold War. Um, it's sort of ingrained in their DNA. So we don't know if that's the case yet, but um, this was a very troubling indication of the way in which the CCP does not respect American sovereignty. Congressman Mike Gallagher is with us. Congressman, according to the Associated Press and Bloomberg, Earlier in the Biden administration, there was a balloon over the United States. Three times during the Trump administration, there were similar balloons over the United States. Should we shoot them down each time? We certainly should have a well-developed standard operating procedure for doing so, which appears we don't. But to dig into that story, this is a huge, huge question. Um, because multiple Trump administration officials have denied it. I've talked to all of them in the last 48 hours, and they said, if this had happened three times in the Trump administration, we were unaware of it. So one of two things is true. Either the military was aware and did not brief civilian officials, which is a massive problem for civil relationships, or we weren't able to piece it together or understand that it had happened until after the fact, which is a massive problem for our early warning and tracking system. So either way, that actually raises more questions than it answers. And I think, you know, two days ago, the administration, there was an anonymous Pentagon official, trotted that out there in an attempt to downplay the incident. Like, no, it's no big deal. It happened in the Trump administration. They didn't do anything about it. But I think they inadvertently stirred up a hornet's nest of questions. So that's one of the many things we're going to demand an answer to in the coming in the coming weeks. Congressman Gallagher, as the chairman of the House Select Committee on China, I got to think that you have gained this knowledge over a period of time. What got you first interested in China's government and culture to this level? 
Well, quite honestly, you know, my the first 15 years of my career in the military and as a policy person, I was a Middle East uh, focused uh, expert. I was an Arabist uh, and an Arabic linguist. Um, and so I was late to the game here. I may be sooner than some congressmen only because I had a good friend I served with in the Marine Corps who ended up becoming deputy national security advisor who was a real you know, Mandarin linguist and Chinese expert who kind of woke me up. And then in 2015, there was a big hack by China of the Office of Personnel Management. And I remember getting a letter saying, you know, my military records may have been compromised. That was my first big road to Damascus moment, wake up call. And then I started to piece together all the things we were seeing with island building in the South and East China Sea, and increasingly bellicose Xi Jinping, who had come to power in 2012, I believe. And then it just became an obsession of mine during, you know, my first years in Congress. And I do believe this is the existential challenge of our time. Um, if for no other reason, we become too dependent economically on China. I don't know if you remember early on in the pandemic, the Chinese Communist Party threatened to cut off the export of advanced pharmaceutical ingredients to plunge us into a sea of coronavirus was the phrase they used. And just imagine if they had that type of leverage and were willing to use it in wartime and deny us access to life-saving drugs. That just gives you an, a window into how foolish our two-decade strategy of becoming dependent on them was. And so uh, I'm hoping to use this committee to wake up a lot of my colleagues to the threat and build a bipartisan consensus around the urgent actions we need to take in order to defend our country and our sovereignty before it's too late. Do we have similar balloons over China? I, obviously, it's, I'm not going to comment on anything classified uh, that we have. Um, you know, we have a robust presence in the Indo-Pacific, and I think we have an interest in understanding everything that's happening um, around China, particularly given how threatening they are. Um, but I think what this reveals for any casual observer is that, you know, there are gaps in our homeland defense, and this isn't an over-there problem. It's a right-here problem. And if China's able to float a balloon, whether for intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance purposes, or imagine if something like this was weaponized over the continent of the United States, I think it should remind us all that in modern warfare, if we actually found ourselves in a confrontation with China over Taiwan, the vast Pacific Ocean would not offer a defense. We have to look at this as a global competition. And right now we're too myopically focused uh, either on their near abroad or, you know, uh, our own, you know, uh, sort of narrow view here domestically. And Representative Gallagher, you mentioned Taiwan and you seem concerned that Taiwan could become a future Ukraine. A hundred percent. I think we've entered the, the window of maximum danger with respect to Taiwan. Xi Jinping keeps reminding us that he's committed to reunifying Taiwan with the mainland by force if necessary. And despite what we saw in Ukraine, we, we tend not to take these authoritarians seriously or take them at their word. Um, more to the point, you know, we have a bunch of defense bills that are coming due this decade. And if you believe that the Chinese economy has some storm clouds on the horizon, particularly in the 2030s, demographic issues they have to deal with, slowing growth, property bubbles, et cetera, I think it will likely make them more aggressive in the near term. So this is the decade of maximum danger. We need to be on our toes and we need to be moving heaven and earth in order to surge hard power into the Indo-Pacific in order to prevent war. And we should remind ourselves that ours is a defensive strategy. We're not trying to take any territory. We're not trying to remake any society in our image. We're trying to defend the frontiers of freedom from authoritarian aggression. 
And so we have a lot of work to do, and time is not on our side. That is U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Meteorologist Brian Nisnanski is with us. So, Niz, I missed you at Pickleball on Sunday. Where were you? Uh, sorry, guys. Yeah, I was in the Dells this oh, nice. weekend. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Dells, of course, when you got kids and yeah. stuff, it's like there's no better place to be. With, Where'd you, you know, stay? In the of winter. Uh, we were at the Mount Olympus Resort. Oh, that's um, fun. The resort that that's next to it. So, yeah, we could just walk, stay indoors, go right into the indoor water park. And uh, it was a blast. It was 85 degrees inside, but really nice. not too bad outside either, guys. Do you squeal when you go down the water slide? Can we hear you? <laughs> I, I don't. Normally, like, the water slide I'm, I'm good with. But i got to tell you guys, um, Mount Olympus has, and, and this is not, not a plug or anything, but they have, like, this new water slide, if you want to call it that. It literally... Literally, like spins around like in a circle, like a Ferris wheel. Out, like you go outside into this contraption. Wow! And it is like next level wild. Like you lose your equilibrium type thing. Like it's insane. It's like the craziest thing I've ever like water slide I've ever been on. We ought to do the show from there. It was nuts. It's nice when the parents (laughs) have as much of a thrill as the giggling kitties in the water. Well done, Brian. Oh well, my my stomach was was hurting so bad, and my oldest Olivia's like, "Let's go again." I'm like, "No," um, and, and then, so, but no, I had to do it. I had to man up, you know. You got, yeah, you got to be a good dad and, and go back on it. If your kid wants to ride a water slide yep. with you, you take it. You you take that offer anytime. Man, it has been mild, Brian. It's been very pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is another stretch here. I think we're about ready to start of temperatures well above normal for the foreseeable future. There is a hiccup I want to talk about, too. That's Thursday. Thursday, if things line up just right, um, we could have some accumulating snow here in southeastern Wisconsin. Right now, it looks like a rain-snow mix, but uh, this thing trends a little bit south. The center of the storm goes over Chicago. Then we end up with all snow again, and we're shoveling again. All right, so... uh Lead us through the five days, I guess, with a little bit of detail, Brian. Sure, yeah. Cloudy, windy, mild for tonight. There's a chance of a rain shower tonight. Not not a snow shower, rain shower. Low temperature holding steady at pretty much where we are now, 37. For Tuesday, decreasing clouds, breezy and mild, a high of 42. Wednesday, mostly sunny, mild, 43. This is the dead wow. of winter. This is, this is nuts, yeah. Thursday, again, that's the day to watch. Uh, rain and snow likely. It has the potential, especially northwest of Milwaukee, to be a pretty good snow uh, across the area. Uh, Friday, still the chance of snow, 34. And Saturday, mostly sunny 34 degrees so still above normal how was pickleball by the way who who was uh who was dominating this <laughs> that weekend? was pretty what good you know who dominated was vetrano we played eight games oh, and vetrano won so here's what we did there were eight of us when we rotated you played with each partner once which was really fun they had a little chart so vetrano won okay. all eight times and he cares wow. about that right yeah he's a little intense yes. <laughs> yeah you know, like I, I, I love any good friends. Yeah. Um, obviously, you do too, and stuff. But, but he's the guy who you don't want to win when you're out there, right? He, he's because right. he, because he's taking it more serious oh. than anybody. Yeah, and then when you're with him, so I, he had not lost yet, and I was with him like the seventh game. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't let him down. This has got to be. Right. So I felt pre- <laughs> I'm playing pickleball with a bunch of dudes, and I felt pressure. It was, yeah. but it was fun. It was I good. need. Well, you know, it's total Vinny, too, is like we're like, and I, I, I appreciate any tip because I'm not, I'm not like, yeah. you know, 
I'm just learning the game. And But he is the one, of course, to give those tips. Brian, you got to move up a little bit uh, after the serve. Oh. you got to get up there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Vinny. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll get yeah. Some so, coaching for free, Brian. So he, he doesn't tried charge to, for He that. tried to give me coaching on when to move up, and then I got this near the very end. <laughs> Like I told you, move up when you re- when you return the box. <laughs> but I mean, uh-huh. he's not being a jerk. But and what's he the wants phrase? to win. What's the phrase? Creep in the kitchen. Yeah, stay out of the kitchen. Stay out of the okay, kitchen. Don't, yeah, can't get in the kitchen. <laughs> I've I've made my way into the kitchen, and, I, and he oh, almost yeah. gives me that little look of disgust. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like like you just blew that for me. Uh, yeah, good stuff, Niz. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs> All right, John Sandy. See you later. <laughs> it's five forty-five at WTMJ. We talk Grammys up next. So Bonnie Raitt won a Grammy last night, and get this, we have got tickets to see Bonnie Raitt coming to the Riverside in October. We've got free tickets all week. How cool is that? She had a really magical moment last night. What caller should we take? Well, actually, she won three last night. Oh, my god! Believe it or not. Yeah, she wow. won. The, that's Whoa. a song called Just Like That, uh, okay. Song of the Year. She also mm-hmm. won Best American Root Song for Just Like That, and she also won an award for a song called Made Up Mind for Best Americana Performance, which leads into part of our conversation about just how many categories there are. But she won three last night. Yep. She's won 13 Grammys Ooh. overall. So how about Caller 13 on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Enjoy Bonnie Raitt in person. She's just a treasure. Caller number 13. All right, so let's stick with Connie Ray, Bonnie Ray, excuse me, Bonnie Ray for just a second here because she won. She wasn't expected to win in the big category where Not she was all. up against Taylor Swift and uh, Beyonce, but she did. This is what she had to say afterwards. And the Grammy goes to just like that. I was so inspired for this song by the incredible story of the love and the grace and the generosity of someone that donates their beloved's organs to help another person live. And this story was so simple and so beautiful for these times. So Beyonce won four last night. She now has 32 under her belt. This is Beyonce last night. I'd like to thank my parents, my father, my mother, for loving me and pushing me. I'd like to thank my beautiful husband, my beautiful three children who are at home watching. I'd like to thank the queer community for your love and for inventing this genre. God bless you. Thank you so much to the Grammys. I like hmm. her emotion there. I, yeah, think I do that's too. That's very genuine, and I feel like. She's not a real person because of her level of success and her fantastic artistry that's just larger she's a than superstar. life. But yeah, and so for her to really seem grateful and touched for her thirties, what second time? You're like she could just be like, okay, gotta mm-hmm. gotta build another shelf. She really sounded uh, like like it was meaningful. So she won. The one that put her over the top was her Grammy for best dance electronic album. So a lot of people are outraged that she so easily broke the record, and people are saying things like, what about the Beatles? What about Elvis? And this really gets to the fact that over the past 20 years, really in the past seven or eight, they've added so many categories that they've really splintered and given people a lot more opportunity to win individual Grammys. Yes. I, we were just scrolling through as we were doing research earlier today, and 
in the rap category, there are melodic rap. Like, in, and then in the jazz category, it's <laughs> there's vocal, there's instrumental, there's big band. It's there's so many niches, which I'm all for encouraging and recognizing creativity of all kinds. I'm all for it. It certainly is interesting how it has evolved, though, from, what, like 12 categories into now 120. Well, didn't there just used to be best rap? Oh, yeah, right, yeah, Now there's right, 10 right, kinds right, of rap. Right. Best jazz. Yeah, and Beyonce and Taylor jazz. Swift are still nominated in all these categories. It's amazing. And then there was yeah. another, like, best new age something and chant album. It's like, we're going to get that niche. Like, let's just have best chant album. I'd mm. like to know what the top five regarded <laughs> chant albums of 2022 were. It was pretty cool. So at one point, um, I had left the TV on downstairs. I was watching 60 Minutes. And then I went upstairs to do laundry and do some other things. And I came back downstairs to turn the TV off. And I had left it on, and so the Grammys were on. And I happened to walk in the room when Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson were doing a tribute to Motown. It was really cool. Oh, best. Stevie Wonder sounded great. He looked great. They had a lot of talented musicians up there. Well, Smokey Robinson is one of the most talented yeah. songwriters. And he sounded good, ever, too. Ever, ever. I'm sorry I missed that. I was I was traveling back from Indianapolis, but I, you know how you, uh, on planes now, it's the 21st yeah. century, you can watch live television on your phone. So I saw a little bit of it. I did get to see Bonnie Raitt's acceptance speech, but I, I knew I missed a bunch of good stuff. So one of the outrages of the night, I say that with air quotes, outrages yeah. of the night, was that Harry Styles won for Best Album, Album of the Year. As a matter of fact, I have a review in front of me from the music critic at Time Magazine. He says, the most deflating moment of the night was when Harry Styles was awarded Album of the Year for Harry's House, with many criticizing the institution for failing to award the prize to Beyonce, not just tonight, for every time that she's been up for Album of the Year and she's never won it. So jumping on the Academy, because Harry Styles won. So Harry Styles was asked about winning Album of the Year after the ceremony. Tonight, it's obviously so important for us to remember that there is no such thing as best in music. Um, I don't think any of us sit in the studio thinking, making decisions based on what is going to get us one of these. Well said, Harry. Yeah, exactly. That's He's lovely. also roundly criticized because he performed later. Yeah. I read four reviews of the Grammys trying to just collect stuff for this little segment. Yeah. All four said that his performance was the worst they've ever seen him give. They said it was unenergetic, it was uninspired, and this is four different people said this. All right, I'll and have he's to, coming I'll off have a really go. big tour, and yeah. he's famous for his energy. Right. I'll have, to, I'll have to look into that. But can I just tell you that Harry Styles won Album of the Year. Did you know that ABBA had an album nominated this year? <laughs> I did so not. So he beat ABBA, Adele, Bad Bunny, Beyonce, Mary J. Blige... Brandy Carlisle, who's excellent, and she won some uh, yeah. Grammys. Coldplay, Kendrick Lamar, and Lizzo. That's company. How about that? Wow. <laughs> I, but I'm just, how did I not know ABBA had a new album out? We, we kind of watched the beginning of it. Emily and I were on the couch. Kids were just going to bed, and we flipped it on, and Bad Bunny was doing his <laughs> yeah. thing. And Emily goes, who is that? Exactly. Well, I kind of, it's Bad Bunny. He goes, I, I can't watch the rest of this. I'm, I'm not cool enough to watch the rest of That's this. That's funny. And we well, turned it off. That was about it. The two great Wisconsin connections didn't make the telecast. But yeah. we did have two winners that hail from Wisconsin. I would love to do a shout-out to Cheryl Pavelski, her third Grammy, a Marquette grad, a Pius grad, born in Milwaukee, loves music, and won for a Wilco a historical album, 20 Years of Wilco, but mm -hmm. her past Grammys. A Mr. Rogers compilation mm -hmm. just a few years ago, and uh, country singer Hank Williams preserving some 1950s TV shows. So she's doing a great job. And what was the other Wisconsin winner? Uh, um, a band, a jazz band 
called Snarky Puppy. Hmm. Oh, that's fun. Their fifth <laughs> Grammy. They've, they've won every time they've been nominated. Uh, wow. A trumpeter named Max is hmm. in that from Wisconsin. Congratulations, everybody. It's 556 <laughs> at WTMJ.